Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Friendings. My name is Sabina, and I'm here to take a look at the end of friendships, how that loss is experienced, grieved, and made sense of over time. It's not something we tend to talk about, and I'd like to change that. In this episode, I won't be looking at any particular friending as such, but I thought it would be worthwhile to talk more generally about the nature of friendships. I think part of the reason why I've grieved some of my friends the way that I have is because I felt as though I was past the prime friend-making season of my life, which I think tends to be when we're kids or in early to mid-adulthood. It's hard to make friends as you get older. You've probably seen the meme about Jesus where he's surrounded by his disciples and it reads something like, the real miracle was that he had 12 best friends after the age of 30. For me, with each loss, it's just been like, oh my God, I'm really whittling down my options here. In truth, I've continued to make new friendships through work, and since having a kid, my whole friendship circle has definitely flourished, starting with daycare, playgroup, and now school. I understand this is a bit niche and not relevant to those of you out there without kids or who aren't as obsessed about friends. Lucky you. But when it comes to making friends in midlife, there are certain boxes that need to be ticked, right? There's this other thing I've seen on the socials where some woman is giving a presentation on three points of connection for adult friends, which goes something like, one, your kids are friends, two, you live close to each other, and three, you actually have common interests, something like that. And then someone else chimed in with a fourth, which is that your partners get along. And well, you've hit the jackpot when you find someone who sits at the intersection of those sorts of criteria in that Venn diagram. It just reduces the amount of effort needed, right? And once you've got kids or work is manic and you just want to be in bed by nine, that kind of logistical ease, it counts. All those contact points mean it can happen with minimal effort. Okay, so this brings me to the moment where I introduce you to how I start a lot of my conversations. Ready? So, I heard something interesting on a podcast the other day. Yes, ask anyone who knows me and they'll tell you this is my constant refrain. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Anyway, it's a philosophy podcast that I subscribe to and they did an episode about friendships. It was a look at the philosophy of friendships. I'll link to it in the show notes, as they say, once I figure out how to do all that. But here's a very simple summary from a total pleb. Aristotle, one of the great philosophers, had this view that there were three foundations for friendship. The first was utility, the second was pleasure, and the third was goodness. By utility, he meant friends that do stuff for each other that's useful, and so you form a connection around that. This could be more transactional friendships, I'm thinking work friendships probably qualify, and maybe even some friendships around your child and their friends' parents where you can be super useful to each other. The next type of friendship is based on pleasure, and no, that's not about friends with benefits. It's where you really enjoy each other's company. You make each other laugh, you have similar interests and things that you can do together. 
The third type of friendship is based on goodness. And here Aristotle describes a virtuous friendship that occurs between two highly virtuous individuals who recognize that in themselves and in each other and connect on that level. It's all very highbrow and a little bit elitist in terms of the qualities that he considers are virtuous, not super accessible to most people, unless you're a narcissist, because then you probably think you're awesome. Needless to say, Aristotle thought he had exactly this kind of friendship with some other dude, so he qualified. And this is key because, according to him, these friendships of goodness were the domain of men only, because men were just naturally more virtuous than women. So he didn't believe men and women could have equal friendships because the women just couldn't step up. Okay, so obviously a big fuck you to Aristotle. But let's say he was a man of his time and we can still find value in his thinking and build on it while using the yucky bits to guard against bias when forming our own perspectives. So by his thinking, because women weren't as virtuous as men, the nature of friendship between women wasn't as deep. And well, this has not been my experience, dear listener. Then around the late 1600s, there was this English lady philosopher whose name was Mary Estelle, and she was one of the early feminists, and surprise, surprise, she had a bit of a different take to Aristotle. She referred to duty among friends, the thought being that we've all got blind spots that stop us from being our best selves, and good friends have a responsibility to each other to bring awareness to blind spots. Because you want the best for each other, you help to build each other's character. You basically elevate each other's virtues. So you don't have to be perfect to begin with, but through dutiful friendship, you can elevate yourselves and each other. And well, I love that. That is completely my jam. I really value this kind of honesty in my friendships. And there is an open invitation to all my friends to come and blow my mind. Obviously, that's not for everyone, and there's definitely a time and a place for it. I've learned that a good starting point is probably when a friend asks for your perspective, because then they're actually open to receiving it. Otherwise, it can be too much if they're not ready. And we're not talking about harsh truths here either, because it shouldn't be harsh. There's always a way to put things that's sensitive, and yeah, this requires a bit of work, there's no room for lazy communication and how that feedback is given. Having the right intention helps too. I see it as one friend trying to open something up for the other rather than getting something off their own chest. If it's the latter, it will come across as that. I've learned this the hard way. So that philosophy podcast episode got me thinking about the different types of friendship foundations for me and how much that applies. And I totally see the whole utility angle and the pleasure angle as well. And I quite like Mary Estelle's take on friends' duty to each other. But there is another kind of friendship connection that I've experienced, which, well, it's felt like a soul connection. It's almost like we recognize each other. I don't really know how else to put it other than it's just this feeling of recognition. For me, that feels like a kind of chemistry and immediate sort of ease and moving towards that person, like I'm curious about them. And you know, I still get that every now and then, and I get a bit excited. But quite a few times, it hasn't actually gone anywhere, because some of that utility has been missing. 
We haven't been in each other's orbit enough to sustain the connection, to have it take root into a more fully formed friendship. And it sucks when that's happened. But I've just had to acknowledge that, oh well, for whatever reason, it's not the right time. I do have a friend now who I've felt that so strongly with, and we're not in the same orbit at all. But I've been intentional about maintaining a connection. We've even spoken about it, how it's something that we both recognise And both of us put effort into maintaining a relationship as a result. So it's certainly possible to be intentional about it. It just takes a bit more work. I've also been thinking about why I've had such a focus on friendships and have taken some of my friending so hard, even though I can see that the friend-making season is not over for me. And my working theory is that it's because I don't have a bunch of siblings and the one sibling I do have I'm not close to. I don't have a close-knit extended family either, and I've moved around a bit. My hypothesis is that people who have close family ties in the form of siblings and cousins, and also people who haven't moved around a lot, might not place the same emphasis on new friendships because their friendship needs are being met. They have a well-established and continuous resource to draw from. I have friends who have these big kind of family networks And they're always out together, holidaying together, spending New Year's together. And the kids are with their cousins. And it just seems so easy. They can operate as a bit of a closed unit. They're not in the market for new friends in the same way. I think the same applies for people who have the continuity of long-held friends from childhood. Maybe if this was the case for me, I wouldn't be so interested in this subject. Each time I've moved and spoken to other expats in my new hometown, I've heard them say, oh, the people here are so clicky. But now I'm thinking, maybe we're all clicky until we're in a position of having to make new friends because of some disruption like moving. As I said, this is a hypothesis and I'm prepared to be wrong about it. But for me, friendships have been vital. Each time I arrived in a new city, I did so without any local friends and that didn't change until I found work. Thankfully, I managed to hold on to some of the friends I made from my first move away and that's because we were able to move past the utility of being work friends. We were able to establish deeper foundations and I count them amongst my dearest friends. When I moved to my current hometown, it was the same deal. No friends until work. And when I had a kid, that became the main avenue for meeting people with some wonderful new friendships developing and where we've been able to speak honestly about our struggles with motherhood in particular, this has propelled some friendships forward past their initial utility into deeper territory. But on the flip side, motherhood has also led to a few premature friendings where I simply haven't been in the best headspace or had the energy to manage some of the issues that arose between us. The loss I share in episode two is an example, but there are others. When I apply this philosophical lens, I can see that maybe the intensity of my grief has been proportional to the depth of the friendship's foundations. That makes sense, right? While I've grieved utility-based friendships, it hasn't been to the same degree as other deeper ones, but this may be different for others. I can understand that even losing a friendship of utility can then impact important social dynamics within a group, which can lead to a bunch of second-order problems sparked by the friending. That's it from me for now. 
I really just wanted to share some thoughts sparked by that philosophy podcast relating to friendship. I'm always looking into different perspectives on this subject matter, and if anything grabs me, I'll be sure to share it here with you. I'm also curious about you out there and what you make of it all, so please feel free to drop me a line. Thanks again for listening to Friendings. Thank you for being a friend of the show. I'll be back soon with another Friending Drop. See you then. Friendings has been created by me, Sabina Shah, on Paramount Country. Writing, production and sound engineering also by yours truly. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate and review or tell your friends about it. It really helps, so thank you for that. Feel free to get in touch via Instagram at friendings.show. Whoa!